Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. On this day of days, it is time for Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. That music can only be from, well, I'm too scared to say it. Can anyone tell me the name of this movie? Um, Abrasive Emollients is, is <laughs> one of the most incredible pieces of work we've, we've ever had to review. And when you see the coal coming down the grain elevator bin, and then when they take these marvelous tools, what was the bit size? It's the, uh, the carborundum <laughs> conical number 2750. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's from another program we do on a different station called, called Perfectly Industrial. Sorry. Wrong film, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome J. Todd Anderson, J. Todd, welcome. <laughs> Hello, Nikki Dakota. Hello, and George Willeman are uh, here Nikki, today. It's, it's a perfect day for a murder, so I, we're going to kill some time talking about this movie. We got really excited about that industrial film because <laughs> we do those industrial films quite frequently for that other station in town because that's their idea. And we, we comply because we're good, and you know. but we're going to talk about... Nightmare on Elm Street today. Oh, Number man. one, the, the original and the, best. The first and best. Yeah, don't watch the other ones. They're not worth watching. But yeah. this one, this one is a perfect film. That's why we gather here on a Friday. We talk about some of the finest films ever made. J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist to the Coen Brothers for 20 years and counting, and uh, all-around amazing movie guy comes and shares. He's half of the brainchild of this effort. The other half, George Willeman, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. Gentlemen, you know, we embarked on this month of scary movies all about horror every Friday, so I have had uh, my evening hours filled with spookiness indeed, and I will, I will grant you this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. This is one of the best, one of the best, and you know why it's one of the best, because we declared it perfect because we have rules. And those rules... George, hit it! The first rule is, they create the world they exist in. And they wholly sustain that world. And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. And if somebody says, how much higher is that film than another film? It doesn't work. They're never numerically rated because... They are perfect in their own scale and their own world. It's like a competition against itself in a way. This is not this is not anything the best movie ever made. It is just a good movie in its own right. Through all the rules, there's this notion of sustaining. Tell us first uh how is it do you suppose this creates its own world? Because it has the best hairstyles of any 80 <laughs> movies you ever saw. <laughs> they are very, very good 80s hair oh, in this film. Oh, they're so cool. <laughs> that chick has more hair. She looks like Cousin It, man. She is great. <laughs> and Plus, and uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp's uh, frou-frou look is, is quite, quite, he quite amazing. He looks like a racer head. He looks fantastic. And what is he, like 12 or 13 in this? Like he's 20, and this is the movie <laughs> introducing Johnny Depp. It's amazing. I was uh, I had forgotten. In fact, I didn't see the movie when it came out at the time. I was probably too scared, but uh, was just amazed that this really was his first film appearance. I guess uh, it was... Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it was Wes Craven's daughter that helped... Uh, 
put it over on the casting side. Like, you got to pick that guy. He's the dreamiest guy ever. And he plays his sort of like sweet boy next door quite well in this movie. Before we get too far along, George, can you give us an overview of the action in this oh, film? Sure. For those of you who haven't seen this movie, <clears throat> Uh, basically, the, the premise of the story is there is this mysterious killer who seems to be lurking in the dreams of these four young people. They're not really sure why he's there, um, and, and he actually ends up killing one of them right off the bat. Uh, her boyfriend is then blamed for it, and then he gets killed. Uh, and slowly they become to, come to realize that their parents seem to have some knowledge of this killer. And it turns out that he was, in the past, a, a child murderer whom uh, had been put on trial, but because of a, uh, an error, was released. And the parents banded together, tracked him down, and burned him in his Killed uh, him cell. their yes. own selves, yeah. So he has now come back through, through never-explained means to, yeah. to basically uh, get his revenge on the families that, uh, that dispatched him in the first place. But I bought it, it, fully bought he it. He does you know? it in a marvelous technique. He comes into the world of sleep. And how many, how many people do you know they escape through that world of sleep? Sleep is the big mechanism. When you don't sleep right, you're finished. You're done. That's, you're, and it's so brilliant about this movie because he's tapped into something, uh, the writer Wes Craven's, uh, into something that is common to all of humanity. Everybody dreams. We all have nightmares. Every people that confess, you know, they always say, well, I just can't sleep right. And <laughs> I, I had to say, well, there's no way out. And one of the really beautiful cinematic conventions in this movie and I don't believe it's ever been done this thoroughly and one of the reasons why it is a perfect film is because he sucks you into this dream state and you'll watch how he conditionally kind of brings you the filmmaker Wes Craven he brings you into this dream state and this wasn't based on a book this is pure cinema you know it was written for the screen I believe right George yeah yeah, yeah. she burns herself to get out of a dream she's walking down the street the burn still exists so gradually, he just kind of ropes you into this, this terrible nightmare that she's having, and it has one of the best endings of ever, any movie ever, ever made. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering, we're not going to spoil it, are we? We're not going to spoil it. No, we'll leave, we'll leave yeah, this one Yeah, let's leave it. It's worth. Because it is it's a good one. Absolutely. So it is a, a traipse through dreamscapes in a notion, and you talk about sustaining itself through time. Dreams are timeless. I mean, we all dream. We will all continue to dream. There will always be nightmares. And... Uh, Actually, my children crept into the room. We're trying to creep into the room last night as I was. I wouldn't let them. I thought they're just too young. They're just too young to be scared in this way. It's funny you mention that. I do remember someone once uh, reviewing this as a a horror movie for the entire family. <laughs> Wait, some of the stuff in the movies is really hilarious because at the end they do. You know, she goes, "Well, I'm going to go back into that dream and I'm going to get that bad boy and I'm going to drag him out for my dad so my dad can take well his dad is one of the reasons he's in the dream you know, right, his right. dad killed him you know, right. years ago and everything's about fire and burning which nobody likes to talk about If there's, uh, what is more horrible than that oh yeah and, at the end, and his face what great makeup on, on the, the, uh, yeah, the and, protagonist and, and, I mean, and also antagonist. another thing another horror element that works really well is knives uh, oh. because everybody has a fear of getting cut Except for a couple of people I know, and uh, but yeah, he has the, the floor, the four straight razors that he has carved into blades, and and you know that's I I in fact getting a paper cut exactly the opening Ooh, scene yeah, is cut. him Ooh. crafting these he's yeah. actually making them you and know? at the end uh, she gets ready like I said before they're gonna drag this bad boy out and they're gonna teach him a lesson. And then she says, you can't scare me because I understand it's it's fear that you're working on. It's fear. 
and, uh, and then she builds all these really great contraption like the A-team used to, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To catch him. So she's going to lure him out yeah. of the dream And she does a Home world. Alone gag before Home Alone where yeah. they have hammers and stuff like that. And right. you think, oh, yeah, she's got Freddy Good, you know, Freddy Good. And then they do this marvelous turnaround at the end of the movie, and you've been had. And it really has this perfect ending because it goes Don't on. And I'm not going to give, Don't it, give away. it away. Don't give it away. But the bad part about that ending is, is that it said, this made so much money. Let's make up 150 of these things. And they're still counting. They're still making In them. In fact, too. it was this movie that really put New Line Cinemas on the map, right? right? Before that, they had nothing. And they really took a gamble yeah, the, on this. The only thing that New Line really had to go on before this was uh, John Waters' movies, uh, Pink Flamingos and... And, uh, Which had a niche, trouble. a niche market at <laughs> at best. But it's a real it's a real tribute to to Robert Shea, who was and I believe may still be the head of uh, New Line Cinema. That he took a chance on this because nobody else wanted to. Yeah. Um, I've seen uh, copies of letters from all the different studios, and they're all like, "Uh, well, we we like Mr. Craven, but this just isn't our cup of tea." And a lot of that comes from the fact that the the movie industry was taking a real bashing from uh, from parents groups on the slasher film phenomenon. Oh, and this sure. one had started getting lumped in with that. The script was because you have this killer with knives, you know, and they couldn't see past that. We're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street with the film guys, J. Todd Anderson and George Williman. Um, now, I don't, my knowledge of the history of horror films is not uh, good enough for me to know. Did this set that whole trend of, uh, of for example, you know, the, the teens alone? I mean, no, no. So this is really picking up no, on that, but... Uh, uh, Friday the 13th, I think, is the film that really was the, the genesis of the, the teen slasher movie. And what year was that out? Do you happen to know off the uh, top of your head? Like it's in the early... one or 82. Okay. This movie is 1984. 84. Okay, so someone had already sort of, like, broached that, opened that up, but... Uh, but to me, it's uh, it's uh, sort of genre-defining. Yeah, you don't see too much of Freddy in this movie. He's implied a lot. He's always in shadows, and, you know, because of his burn face and everything, it, it seems to be more sinister because, you know, there's a couple real standard shots in the movie. You see him with long arms and his <laughs> blades, and these were really strong images that really set the tone for this picture and no doubt gave them the license to keep making them. But as, as George has stated, he becomes like a caricature of himself, uh, where he's just not really a nightmare. And uh, I myself can't watch the rest of the movies because I don't think they're very good. But hmm. this movie I can watch because of the way they handled the villain in this movie. You don't see too much of this Freddy guy. Now, Freddy's everywhere. Freddy sells candy bars. and you Yeah, know, you talk about rule number three, sustaining itself through time. You still can go to the store and purchase. Yeah, well, we're not proud of the aspect of the reflection <laughs> on that. <laughs> observation we don't have much pride in that but it did it is sustaining itself i mean that's just like you know unfortunately when you have a person you don't like i mean you know a person that you do like and you say i have a problem with this person i like him you know you just... right you know oh, yeah go ahead i was going to say that i think one of the the things that really has has helped it along and made it last and that is so impressive was then is the fact that they do all these wonderful things in this movie with almost no budget whatsoever uh, I remember when it came out, it was even then, it was an amazingly low-budget movie. It was $1.3 million. And in fact, there, some of the scariest scenes, they were inspired by that Fred Astaire dance. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. That, the Fred Astaire, um, uh, what movie is that from? Wedding, the, the room that turns upside down. Yeah. They built a big room on a, on a uh, sideways turntable, basically, that turned 360 degrees. And they're two, as, as Wes Craven referred to them, they're two money shots in the film. Yeah. Both take place in this room. Yeah. <laughs> 
And actually, it was the it was the those were the two scenes that got them in trouble with the MPAA, who were going to slap an X rating on this film because they were bloody. Yes, and they actually he actually ended up cutting out eighteen feet. How many seconds is that, George? How many seconds Uh, is that, George? That's like one and a half, two seconds, I think. No kidding. uh, To get an R rating. Wow. It's a lifetime in the cinema, buddy, when right. you cut that much out. But but so much of the effect in the effects, the special effects in the film are all what you'd call practicals. They're, you know, puppets and 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 uh, ex- arm extensions and stuff like that. There's very little done with computers. I think there may be like yeah. a, a glowy effect at one point, but most of it is all practical effects. When you watch this film, it's very similar to like uh, Night of the Living Dead, and you'll say, wow, this is so low-key compared to the intenseness of all the movies that are coming out today because uh, things have changed with such velocity nowadays is that they have have to keep cutting fingers off every second. They just don't build right. to it or anything like Freddy, you know, does his lacerations and where he, he cuts on people. But now it happens every every bat of the eye. It's so intense in movies now, but this is this plotting. This is why it's a pretty good movie because they really uh, stick to a story and they keep following it. And they're very masterful with their use of suspense. You don't have to see the finger cut off every second because yeah, you're by the time you get to the end, <laughs> By the time you get to the end of the movie, you, you're kind of sucked into this thing thinking, what if, it, if, what if you can't get out of it? Because time can't really be measured in your sleep. She brings a stopwatch in. and There's no measurement for time in your sleep. All that stuff happens at a bat of an eye right. or REM movement. You know, They take her to a sleep clinic, which is pretty cool, too, because they got all these little buttons, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then it, it, the story just catapults from there and goes on and on and on and on. Pretty soon you're shoveling coal in hell. You know? <laughs> Before you know it, because time just flies. You know, uh, there, uh, I was noticing that Apparently, this was based on an actual phenomenon. Did you guys catch any note of that? That there was these Laotian tribesmen that they were dying in their sleep, screaming and obviously in real agony. And it was this sort of actual new world—I mean, like real world well, news item. There's always been the story of you know if you if you fall off a cliff in your sleep and you hit the bottom that you'll die. Right. That if you dream that you die, you have actually died. But no one can ever wake up and well, tell us if I, that's true. I can recall true. I, I, a true incident for me one time. I had a dream when I was a kid, and I was living in the basement, that uh, <laughs> that my head caught on fire. And I, I start, was running around, my head on fire. You couldn't do anything about it because they sealed him in the basement. They had no idea <laughs> that his head was on fire. You know? No, but when I, when I finally did wake up, I was outside my bedroom somewhere wandering in the basement, you know, not, not in bed anymore. So it was a very... So uh, these... Strong memory. Right, right. These things ring true. That's a, the, the, I think it was a brilliant. That sounds very in. disturbing. Doesn't you it? Know, that sounds like one of our shows. Perfectly disturbing moments. That was last We had week a very, very kind writer who, who wrote in and said that she wanted to share her disturbance oh, let's uh, have it. with us. Oh, um, yeah, by the way, if you'd like to write to the film guys, it is film guys at perfectmovie.net. This gal um, shared a moment of her disturbing. She says, whoa, I lost it there. Fill it in there, George. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sandy Coulter, who works uh, here at Antioch University oh, in the hey, library. hey, Sandy. And she writes this. The one thing that sticks with me, uh, though, is the closing. Uh, the one, one thing that really sticks with me, though, is the closing shot of the pit and the pendulum. When Price says, no one will ever enter this room again, or something like that in brackets. While we see the lady looking out terrified as she is bound and gagged in the Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Now, this image is stuck with this woman. Ooh, it is creepy. Yeah. yeah. And, and George yeah. has a really good explanation because he's part therapist, too, when it comes to horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I was just going to say that that I totally agree with with Sandy that you know, Vincent Price is and always is was and always will be one of the giants of, of cinematic horror. Um, and it, it's amazing because he was such a versatile actor from the get go. I just recently saw him in the film Brigham Young playing Joseph Smith. How about that? Um, and by the time he got into the Cor- the uh, the Corman Poe films in the '60s, he was you know very well very well established, and actually kind of you know a little bit on the way down because American International is not Warner Brothers or MGM, but sure. he oh, seemed come to. Come on, I like I think they're just as good as anything Warner Brothers did. Well, I didn't say that. I just <laughs> said the studio was. Our Koff and Nicholas are are gods. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> Nicholson, excuse me, Nicholson is yeah, Arkoff yeah. and Nicholson. You bet. <laughs> but I mean, you know, uh, at his end of his tenure at AI, he did probably one of the best horror films he was ever in, which is the Abominable Doctor Fives, where he showed just how good an actor he was because he was not able to use his mouth in the film because the character's mouth was basically a mask was sealed shut, and uh, really, really quite amazing. So, so thanks, Sandy, for Thank for you. bringing that to us because that is and. I don't know if the Corman the Corman stuff may actually warrant a show in the future itself. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? They yeah. are an interesting was, series. The Pit and the Pendulum was one of their big budget deals. <laughs> um, yeah, compared to uh, you know uh, most of the drag racing. Or I know. was a teenage werewolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street and just generally disturbing uh, moments in cinema through history. And uh, we're always looking for your comments and your feedback, so uh, we'd love to hear from you. Check out the website at perfectmovie.net, and you can write to filmguys at perfectmovie.net. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And uh, particularly, uh, send in your disturbing moments. We'll save them up and uh, scare you with them next year. It's filmically perfect, George. That's right. We, we set up this email address just for you, just for and you. it's getting lonely. <laughs> so please, just for please you. write. Write to this. Let us know what you think. Uh, these uh, You can podcast these segments. You, you can know, check out all the If you have your movies. own idea of what you consider a perfect film, uh, you don't have to abide by our rules. You can make up your own. Everyone's Ooh, allowed to an opinion, to right? That. Yeah, and just uh, go ahead and tell us what you think. You know, We'll steal all of them and, and, and use them on the show. <laughs> and we might argue with you. Do right. Film guys at perfectmovie.net. And holding in his hands as a special treat for this, uh, the final of our scary month of October. Has a really Filmically tough perfect. question to, in order to get this big Lebowski storyboard. You have to answer this incredibly tough question okay, that George is going to present. It's down to trivia, my friends. <clears> and let <throat> me first give him the phone number to call. It's area code 937-769-1998. If you uh, can answer George's question, we'll give you a signed copy of one of the storyboards from J. Todd's work on the Big Lebowski. It's a, it's a copy. It's a signed copy. Again, 937-769-1998. What's the question, George? The question today is, name the actor who portrays Freddy Krueger in the 250 Nightmare on Elm Street films. <laughs> hey, Each and every one you of know, them. You know, this boy, he uh, was very active from 1974 to 1984-85 when he did this movie. He had done 60-some films. My goodness. 60-some-odd movies. And then this is the movie that launched him. That and, made and he, him. Yeah, and now he never has to work ever again. <laughs> again. <Yeah. laughs> Think about that. Give us a call and 769-1998. J. Todd, George William Willeman. William Willeman. It's not uh, your middle name. George Willeman. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Filmically Perfect on Fridays here on So You got anything up your sleeve that we should know about? Just my arm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, so we're, uh, we're out of the Halloween thing here now, and we're going to start moving uh, toward the direction of uh, gracious 
Christmas. Gracious. And, uh, for Thanksgiving. And we'll, yeah, we'll move into Christmas. And we'll, we're going to do, we have a whole bunch of uh, good movies for Christmas. Very much looking and forward And if you have suggestions that. here, folks, send it in to us. Um, but mostly we're going to get very gracious after this mayhem and carnage of uh, <laughs> horror movies that we've <laughs> done in the last month. The pendulum swings. J. Todd, George, thank you. Filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Call 769-1998. The next winner could be you. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.